a house, meaning a lower story, and an attic, meaning an upper story, which belonged to two different people, Shenoflu, which fell down, the entire building fell down and collapsed, and Omar Balhalil Valabais Livnois, the owner of the upper story, told the owner of the lower story, the ground floor, to build his story to build his part of the building so that the owner of the upper story would be able to build his part of the building. He's not able to do anything until the owner of the ground floor has fixed his ground floor. The problem is, the owner of the ground floor doesn't want to build his part of the building. He says that he's happy without it being rebuilt. So in the previous mission, we discussed the case where the upper, where really there's one person who owns the entire building, and the person who's living in the upper story is renting that part of the building from the owner of the building. And we said, based on a certain language which is made in the agreement, it could be that in particular scenarios, the owner of the building would need to build the lower part and the upper part again. But over here, that they're two totally separate owners. We can't force the owner of the lower part of the building to rebuild his part of the building. So what should we do? The owner of the upper story should build the lower part of the house, the actual house. And he doesn't need to build his upper story, but he can then live in that lower story, the ground floor, and until the original owner of the ground floor pays him for the cost of rebuilding this part of the building. And once he pays him for that, then he will go ahead and build the upper story and live there. However, Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Huda says, this is not a very good solution for the owner of the upper story. Because this is considered to be like somebody who is living in somebody else's house. And therefore, the owner of the upper story is going to have to pay rent to the owner of the ground floor the real owner of the ground floor, once he pays him for the costs. Once he pays him for all of the costs of rebuilding the ground floor, then retroactively from the beginning, as soon as he rebuilt it, we view it as belonging to the real owner of the ground floor. We were just waiting for him to pay for it. But once he pays for it, then all along it belonged to him. And it's as if he hired the other person to rebuild his ground floor. But it would emerge that the person who was living there the whole time needs to pay him rent. So this is not a very good way to solve the problem for the sake of the owner of the upper story. He doesn't want to pay rent to anybody, he just wants to live in his original house. Now the truth is, according to the Tanakama, this is not true. He doesn't need to pay him rent, because the scenario under the discussion over here is a unique scenario which comes under the category of Zenene Vezeloi Choser which literally means this one is benefiting and the other one, the other person, is not losing out. And when we're talking about benefit, we're talking about monetary benefit. So over here, the person who is living in the lower, in the ground floor, the owner of the upper story who rebuilt the ground floor and then lived there, so he right now has nowhere else to live. He didn't rebuild the upper story. He has nowhere else to live, so he's definitely benefiting from living in this other person's um, house. However, it's not considered to be that the owner of the ground floor is having a monetary loss. The reason being that he wouldn't have got any other money had this person not benefited. This person wasn't even going to rebuild the house. And even once he did, he wasn't going to start renting out this house to other people. 
He wasn't able to. He hadn't yet paid for the costs of rebuilding his house. So he's not considered to be having a monetary loss. And the definition of the monetary loss is that he would have had, let's say, somebody else renting the house and paying him for rent were it not for this per- this other person taking up the room and living there. That's not true. He wouldn't have rented it out. So the case under scenario is a case of Zenene Vzelichoser. And according to the Tanakama, in a case of Zenene Vzelichoser, the one who benefited is not obligated to pay. So he wouldn't need to pay rent over here. It's true that he's living in somebody else's house. But that person is not having any monetary loss. And therefore, the person living there would not need to pay him. However, according to Rabbi Yehuda, Zenen of Zelechoser Chayev. In this case, the person who benefited would be liable. And therefore, according to Rabbi Yehuda, we need to find another way to solve this problem where the owner of the ground floor does not want to rebuild the ground floor. It's not enough that the owner of the upper story will, build, will rebuild the ground floor and then live there. Rather, says Rabbi Yehuda, Elobal Haliyah Benes Habayis Vesaliyah. The owner of the upper story should build the lower, the ground floor and the upper story as well. Or Makaya Saliyah, he should put a ceiling over the ground floor, rebuild the entire building fully, such that he would be able now to move back into the upper floor. And at this point, even according to Rabbi Huda, if he wants to, the Yeshiva Bayes, he can now live in the ground floor, until the real owner of the ground floor pays him for all of the costs which there were in order to rebuild this ground floor. And even according to Rabbi Huda, this is permitted, and he won't need to pay rent. Because this is a case of where not only is there no monetary loss to the owner of the ground floor, because he wouldn't have spent, used this time to rent it out to somebody else, but there's also no monetary benefit derived by the owner of the upper story. Because he could just as well live in the upper story. So he doesn't even need to live in this lower, in this ground floor. The fact that he is living there is not considered to be a monetary benefit. He's not gaining anything monetarily by living in the lower story instead of the upper story. And therefore, even according to Tribune Huda, in this case, he would not need to pay rent. The same applies to a olive press, which is built into a rock. Somebody hollowed out part of a rock, a very large rock, and he made inside that rock a olive press, and then... He put a sort of lid, a sort of ceiling on top of the olive press, the Gino Achas al Gabov, and there is a garden on the surrounding parts of the rock, as well as on top of the olive press, since there is something which closes off the top of the olive press. On top of that sort of ceiling, there is part of the garden which is planted on top of this rock. And the owner of the garden is a different person to the owner of the actual olive press. And then Vnifchas, the ceiling, the top of this olive press fell in and we now have an olive press without a ceiling, without something protecting the top of it. And we also have a scenario where part of the garden is now missing and it's considered to be the owner of the olive press's fault. He's responsible for this ceiling, the top of his olive press, and if it falls in, we now have a question of is he liable towards the owner of the garden? Says the Mishnah, the owner of the garden can go down and plant seeds down there in the olive press. And he has the right to do this until the owner of the olive press makes a sort of dome-like roof for his olive press. 
meaning until he makes the ceiling again, which is the floor of the garden, at which point he has now fixed the problem and the owner of the garden would have to take back his seeds and he would only be able to plant his seeds in his garden, which is now above the olive press and the olive press's ceiling. All right, second half of the mission now, a wall or a tree which belongs, which belongs to somebody and it's standing in their garden or in their courtyard, whatever it may be, and it's relatively near a public domain and they ended up falling into a public domain, the Heziku, and they caused damage, says the Mishnah Potom Shalim. The owner of that tree or wool would be exempt from paying for the damages which were caused, because we're talking about a case where they fell very suddenly, and it wasn't something which they were supposed to suspect. So if they fall down, and whilst they're falling down, they fall onto somebody or something, and injure them or break the item which they fall onto... That is not considered to be something within the control. It's not considered to be the fault of the owner of the tree or the wall, and therefore they are exempt. Now the truth is, even if the injury or the damage which was caused happens after the tree or the wall fell, later on somebody came and tripped over it, for example, then they would be exempt, but it actually depends in this case. If the owner of the tree or the wall gave up ownership of the tree or the wall, he said, I'm not going to take it back and repair it. I'm gonna, I'm now declaring it ownerless. If he did that, then he has not got the responsibility of removing it from the public domain. And as such, if somebody is injured by tripping over that tree or that wall, the original owner of the tree and the wall will be exempt. However, if he doesn't declare the tree or the wall ownerless, and he still wants to retain the ownership of the tree or the wall, then he now has the responsibility to remove this from the public domain. There is something which belongs to him in a public domain which can trip people up and cause damage. So he, as the owner of this obstacle in a public domain, is obligated to remove that obstacle, that thing which can cause other things to be damaged or injured. And if he doesn't do so, he would be liable for the damage which it caused. But the mission is talking about a case where either the damage happened during the fall of the wall or the tree, or after the fall happened if he declared the tree or the wall ownerless. But what happens if Nosolozman Lockets Esso Elon Bastin gave this owner of the tree or the wall time? They saw that it was getting very weak and it was likely to fall, so they gave him time, and we're talking about where they gave him 30 days. That was generally the amount of time which Bastin would give people to do something. Of course, if they saw that it was going to fall in less than 30 days, they would give him less than 30 days. But if it was going to take 30 days or longer to fall down, they would give him a period of time of 30 days to take down the tree or the wall. So they gave him this time to cut down the tree or to dismantle, to take down the wall. But Nofru Hazman and the tree or the wall fell down during that time, before the 30 days were up, says Mishnah Potter. Once again, he's exempt because it's not considered to be his fault that the tree or the wall fell down. It was not expected to fall down yet. However, Laachazman, if it falls down after that time, now they were supposed to take it down already. And they do need to suspect that the tree or the wall is going to fall down now. And therefore, Chayev, they would be liable even if the damage happens whilst the tree or the wall is falling down. It falls onto something. Now they can't claim that it fell down and it was a total accident. The Basin told them that it's going to happen and that they need to be careful. And therefore, in this case, they would be liable for any damage which is caused. Somebody whose wall was adjacent, it was next to another person's garden, the Nofal, and his wall fell into that other person's garden. 
So to make it easier, let's say Ruvain is the owner of the wool, and Shimon is the owner of the garden. Vomaloi, Shimon says to Ruvain, the owner of the garden says to the owner of the wool, which has now fallen down, Paneavonecha, clear out your stones, you're damaging my garden, and you have the responsibility to get rid of your stones from my garden. Vomaloi, and the owner of these, the stones and the wool, Ruvain tells Shimon, Hikiucha, you deserve it. You deserve the stones, meaning I'm prepared to allow you to keep the stones, but I don't want to clear them away, says the Mishnah. In Shomilo, we don't listen to him. He has a responsibility to remove the stones. His item, which belongs to him, is now ruining somebody else's garden. Now, what happens if Misha Kibbalalov, if Shimon, the owner of the garden, did accept this upon himself and said, you know what, I'll go with that deal. And we need to add, he actually went ahead and cleared away the stones himself. And by doing so, he acquired the stones, and the stones then became his. And at this point, oh my loy, Ruvin turns around to him and he says, uh, actually, I want the stones. Here's your money for all of the cost that it took to remove the stones. And I'll take my stones, which belong to me. Says the Mishnah, we don't listen to him either over here. Because they, they're not his stones anymore. The other person has acquired the stones, and he allowed the other person to acquire his stones, because that's the deal which he struck with him. Now, the second half of the Mishnah brings a similar scenario. One who hires a worker, to work with him with straw. Tevin and Kash are different types of straw. One is the straw which is cut off together with the grain. One is the straw which is left in the ground. And the worker collects lots of straw for this person. But once he's done it, the person who hired him realizes that it's not actually such a profitable exercise and he would prefer to just let the worker keep all of the straw which he gathered and he won't pay him what he had agreed to pay him in money. So what happened? Oh my loy, the worker told the employer, tell his give me my wages. Oh my loy. And the employer told the worker, take everything that you did and collected all of the straw as your wages. In Shomuloi, we do not listen to him and he is obligated to give him the money which he had agreed to give him as his wages. That was their agreement, and therefore he is obligated to give him money. However, Misha Kibbalov, once the worker did accept this deal, if after that, the employer told the worker, actually, no, uh, take your money wages, which we had agreed about, and I will take my straw, which belongs to me, because you gathered it for me, says the Mishnah, in Shomun Lo, we don't listen to him, because the other person has already taken the straw, and acquired it, so it belongs to him. So you cannot force the worker to give you that straw, instead, and you'll give him money. The straw already belongs to the worker. Now, the last part of the Mishnah talks about how much one is allowed to make use of a public domain. And the first example is Hamotzi Zevel, Lirishus Harabim, one who takes out manure of animals to place in a public domain such that that manure will turn into fertilizer which can be used in fields to make the produce grow better. Now, if you put down all of this manure in a public domain, people can very easily slip or trip over that manure and get injured. So the Misha says you're only allowed to do it if you do it in the following way. Hamotzi Moitzi, the one who is bringing it out into the public domain, will take it out. 
and straight away there will be somebody there, the Hamazabel, the one who is actually do- going to do the fertilizing, the one who's going to take it to the fields, Mazabel. He'll be ready immediately to do that. But you can't put it down in the public domain to leave it there for a while, because that will cause people to be injured. Now the truth is, this does seem to contradict slightly a Mishnah in the third peric of Bobakama, but the Gemara resolves it that that Mishnah is talking about during the season of fertilizing, and at that time it is actually permitted, at least inside Eretz Yisrael, it's permitted to put out the, the fertilizer in a public domain for 30 days, for up to 30 days. So according to that, this Mishnah would be talking about during the rest of the year, where it is not the fertilizing season. Be as it may, next example, in Shoyun Titbush Sarabim, it is forbidden to soak clay in a public domain. This is one of the parts of the process to making bricks, they named in a venim, and it's forbidden to actually form the bricks in a public domain. Both of these processes take a very long time, and one has not got the right to use an area which is designated for the public for your own use, something which is going to prevent everybody else using that area. You cannot do that for such a long time. I will go from Titbursarabim. However, one is able to mix the clay in a public domain, and this was often a much quicker process, and it was really used Instead of making the clays into bricks, this was used as some sort of cement. Avalonavanim, which we're going to understand to mean that you cannot mix the clay for the sake of bricks, of turning the clay into bricks, because again, that would be a longer process. Habonabrasarabim, one who is building in a public domain, meaning he's building in a private domain, but he's using the area on the side of the public domain to place lots of his tools and bricks there as he is working on this building site. Says the Mishnah, what is the extent of how much he can use the public domain? Maybe Avon maybe the one who's bringing the stones to that area can bring it, and then the one building with those stones can build. But he has to do that immediately. You cannot place the stones there for an extended period of time. But a few seconds, that would be allowed. That having been said, even if he only puts it there for a few seconds, which is allowed. Nevertheless, Vim Hizik, if it did manage to cause damage during those few seconds, Mishali Masha Hizik, he's actually obligated to pay for the damage which was caused. Even though he's getting permission, at the end of the day, he's still using the public domain, and he has to be aware that he's taking a risk because any injury which takes place to a person or to a person's animal he would need to pay for any loss caused. Now, Rav Gamliel, Gamliel says he's much more lenient, and according to Rav Gamliel, one who is using the side of a public domain as part of his building site, he can even fix and prepare for the sake of his work 30 days in advance, and he can have the stones there for a very long time. And the Gemara adds that according to Rav Gamliel, if injury is caused during this time, he would actually be exempt. So Shemeng Amriel is being far more lenient than the Tanakama. Mishnah Vol, final Mishnah of the Msechta. There are two gardens, one above the other, and that means that one is higher than the other. They're sort of very close to each other. It's not that one is on top of the other. One is next to the other garden, but one is raised above the other one, and there's sort of a slope which takes you from the lower garden up to the higher garden. So there would actually be, let's say, a meter gap, horizontally speaking, between each of the gardens. And there's a slope which goes up from one to the other. And there are vegetables growing in between these two gardens on the slope. 
The question is, who is considered to be the owner of these vegetables? Reb Meir, Reb Meir says, They belong to the owner of the upper garden. Reb Yehuda, Reb Yehuda says, These vegetables belong to the owner of the lower garden. And they explain their opinions. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir said, If the owner of the upper garden wanted to take away all of his soil, all of his earth, then in Kanyorok there would no longer be any vegetables over here because the entire slope wouldn't exist. So that's certainly a logical reason that we can say that he is considered to be the owner of these vegetables. And that the entire slope is his soil, so he is considered to be the owner. Said, at the same time, if the owner of the lower garden wanted to fill up his garden with vegetables, and let's say they're vegetables which grow tall, then they would take up all of the air, and in Kadorok there wouldn't be any vegetables, because there would be no airspace for these vegetables to come out of the slope. So if you're trying to reason with me that the owner of the upper garden can prevent these vegetables from growing, and that that's a sign that he's considered to be the owner, so the owner of the lower ground can also prevent these yorok, these vegetables, from growing. Or my mayor, so mayor said, that's not my argument, you're right. In terms of who can stop the vegetables growing, it could be you're right. But I've got a different argument. Once we can see that both of them can prevent each other from having the vegetables, like we just explained, I've got a different argument. Let's see from where this, these vegetables are growing, are living. They're growing out of whose soil? My soil. It's true that in terms of the airspace, it could be yours, but the soil is mine. And the truth is, Rabbi Huda agrees that the roots of these vegetables do belong to the owner of the upper garden. So says the mayor, if you agree with me regarding the roots, so the rest of it is just an extension of that. And I'm considered to be the owner of these vegetables because it's coming from my soil. Now Rabbi Shimon essentially agrees with the mayor, but he adds on something else. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, Any of the vegetables where the owner of the upper garden is able to stretch out his hand and take. He can reach those vegetables from the upper garden. Those belong to him. However, the Hashar, and the reason for that is like a mayor, he's considered to be the real owner of the vegetables. However, the Hashar, the rest of the vegetables on the lower half of the slope, shall they belong to the owner of the lower garden because of a different reasoning. That because the owner of the upper garden needs to go through the lower garden in order to reach them, he's a bit ashamed of asking him permission to go through his garden in order to get his vegetables which anyway poke out into this other person's garden and therefore he's willing to forego on the ownership of those vegetables and he sort of gives those that ownership over to the owner of the lower garden but essentially Yubishuin does agree with the mayor that because it's growing from the soil of the upper garden so the owner of the upper garden is considered to be at least the original owner of the plants which grow out of the slope.